From WBEZ Chicago and PRX, this is Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. And I'm Jim DeRogatis. This week, we're setting sail for a special episode, Sound Opinions at Sea. That's right, Jim. We're going to be sharing our favorite songs that explore the adventure of the high seas and more. Plus, we'll have a conversation with California singer-songwriter Phoebe Bridgers. You must have been looking for me, sending smoke signals. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. He's Jim DeRogatis. And this week, we're going to have a conversation with the Los Angeles singer-songwriter Phoebe Bridgers. That's coming up a bit later in the show. But first, Sound Opinions goes to see. You know, this week, Greg, we thought, let's do our favorite songs ever about the oceans, the seas. We're in the middle of summer. A lot of people are out there. They're on boats or they're on the seashore. Not you. I know you have this uh, <laughs> boat phobia. I've been wanting to do, like, the Sound Opinions cruise forever, you know? But uh, there's so much music about water. Yeah, well, you know, when I wear the patch, I'm good, so I can handle <laughs> the boats on that uh, on that front. But, yeah, you know... But I have this love-hate affair with the ocean, with the high seas, with being out on big bodies of water. But I am fascinated by all the songs that have been written about that experience, and we're going to dive deep into some of the the great songs in that genre. Jim, you're going to start us off, right? I am, Greg. You know, my choices are kind of obvious, but but it's the summer. I want you to put this on the boombox while you're grilling in the backyard, or better yet, when you're on the boat. We gotta have a Led Zeppelin song. The ocean. The ocean. <laughs> I love this song for so many reasons. Number one, as a young drummer, it taught me what seven fifth time was. Seven mm. five, right? You know, bum bum right? I mean that riff is killer. Bonham's playing as always is great. And when I go back to the early Robert Plant vocals, it's just amazing how silly these lyrics were. Mm. Sitting in the sunshine, mm. laughing in the rain, hitting on the moonshine, rocking in the grain, right? Oh my God. Uh, I know he's embarrassed by those now, but mm. they have a certain, you know, uh, incredible joy of a dopey 21 year old. And mm. what the ocean is actually about is him standing on these stages and looking out at 30,000 heads, a sea of people Mm -hmm. waving at him and adoring him because he was the golden god, right? So the ocean is the people, but the ocean is also the sea. Led Zeppelin, the ocean on Sound Opinions.
Ah, uh, The Ocean by Led Zeppelin. I always forget, too, it has that little intro, you know, a four already button, now, which is kind of like mm. a bunch of drunk <laughs> pirates on the dock. A before sea shanty. They get it you is know, a sea shanty. There you go. And I got another one of those coming. But it's your turn. Speaking of oceans, Jim, uh, the artist named Frank Ocean sang a song about a river. Uh, I think one of the greatest songs about a river ever written. I'm talking about Moon River, written by uh, Henry Mancini with lyrics by Johnny Mercer. The song is uh, notable because it was originally performed by Audrey Hepburn in that uh, 1961 movie Breakfast at Tiffany's. Won all sorts of awards, an Academy Award. The next year it won Record of the Year in the Grammys. But here we have Frank Ocean now resurfacing, so to speak, in 2018. We're, we're pining for new music from Frank Ocean. And he gave us a cover uh, earlier this year of Moon River, which I think is just extraordinary. He does, uh, you know, he's a, he's a great vocalist. He does a couple of tricks with his vocals on this tune. He double tracks them. He does that speeded up thing, a little bit of auto-tuning. There's some alteration going on in one of the vocal channels, mm. and it's almost like he's having a conversation with himself. This is a song about these two drifters who are seeking adventure in this glorious unknown, you know, the Moon River. Where Where's it going to take me? Um, and Ocean himself uh, is somewhat of a searcher, you know, in matters of identity, in matters of, you know, where is home. Um, it's a beautiful song that suits a lot of the thematic concerns that Frank Ocean has had throughout his career. This is Frank Ocean with Moon River on Sound Opinions. Crossing you inside Someday 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 That is Frank Ocean with Moon River, a cover of that classic song done earlier this year. Jim, what's your next pick? Greg, you ever have one of these songs that that when it first comes out and you're reviewing it, or even just as a fan you're listening to it, you absolutely think you hate it, <laughs> and then eventually it, it becomes it grows on you. Well, you know, yeah. sometimes uh, you know, pop music is funny that way. There, there can be this hook, right, and it becomes an earworm, and you can't get it out of your head. So you either have to learn to love your captor, or it drives you crazy. <laughs> I think that's sort of the case uh, with this song, Admiral of the Sea by Grant Hart. Um, when Husker Du, one of our favorite bands ever, broke up, uh, everybody put their money on Bob Mould. And of course, he went on to extraordinary things as a solo artist and as a as the leader of Sugar. Um, but, you know, Grant Hart was no slouch. You know, Husker mm-hmm. Du was 50-50 in terms of the songwriting. And many of the most interesting and most melodic songs often were Hart's. Uh, he debuted with this incredibly pompous record, though, in uh, 91, 
by his band, uh, first after Husker Du, Nova Mob. Mm. It was called The Last Days of Pompeii. And it was this horrible, tortured concept album in which the rocket scientist Werner von Braun mm. goes back to Pompeii and sees Vesuvius erupt and somehow winds up leading the armies of Pliny the Elder. I have no idea what Grant was going on about. You know, but I remember in particular this song, and and it drove me crazy in a bad way. Separated from the context of that horrible uh, concept album, it actually has this sort of a sense of a five- or six-year-old kid, right, playing dress-up, playing pirate or playing admiral of the sea and, and like, going out on his inner tube and thinking that's yeah. his ship and crossing the ocean. If you, if you, if you look at it like that, uh, it, it, it's got its charms and also just, you know, I am the admiral of the sea, right? <laughs> it's just got this incredible hook. Uh, we're coming up on a year since Grand Hart died last September 2017, and uh, and I've decided I initially hated this song, now I love it. Admiral of the Sea by Grand Hart's Nova Mob on Sound Opinions. Admiral of the land. I didn't know there could be such a thing. And there's many men and armies under my command. You go, Grant. Nova Mob, Admiral of the Sea. Greg, you got another sea pick? I do indeed, Jim. Uh, Sail on Sailor from the Beach Boys. This was uh, from the 70s era, the the up and down 70s era of the Beach Boys, and that's put it, putting it mildly. See, I had Sloop John B. on yeah. my list. I was going to go there. but That was slightly earlier in the Beach Boys Way history. Way when and, they were great. And, it, and now we have a period when Brian Wilson is in seclusion he is uh, sort of checked out of the band in many ways. His old buddy Van Dyke Parks, with whom he wrote much of the Smile album, that actually never came out uh, when it was recorded in the 60s, finally came out uh, decades later, was considered a huge failure for the Beach Boys at the time it was uh, being worked on and abandoned. Uh, but Van Dyke and Brian always had this kind of bond. And Van Dyke sensed that Brian was in a bad period uh, when he came over to Brian's house in the early 70s and presented him with the skeleton of a song called Sail on Sailor. And in a lot of ways, he knew that Brian was going through a tough time. And this was a song about going through the treachery of the sea. It, it, it fit perfectly uh, with what they were both going through at the time, the pain that they were feeling. You know, you go out in the ocean and nothing will remind you sooner of how small you are in creation. This is true. You know, you will you will suddenly recognize I am just a little pea 
compared to everything else around me. This ocean can do whatever it wants with me right now. It can swallow me up. It can make me feel incredible. But I am completely at its mercy. And this song is, is talking very directly about the power of that ocean, the ability of it to make you feel so small and lonely and inferior, and then somehow powering through. And I think one of the reasons that it does that is because of the lead vocal by one Blondie Chaplin, who Mm. was uh, a late addition to the Beach Boys roster. He was not one of the original members, obviously. He came from South Africa. He was an artist signed to the Beach Boys label by Carl Wilson, who was effectively running the band during this period of time. And uh, Carl was having difficulty with the vocal. How do I approach this? Blondie stepped up and said, I think I can do this. And the power of his vocals kind of gives you a sense of hope at the end of this song. It's, it's not so much a song about the treachery of the ocean. It's like, we're going to get through this. We're going to power through. And I think that's why people love this Beach Boys song as much as they do. This is Ceylon Sailor from the Beach Boys from 1973 on Sound Opinions. That is the Beach Boys with Ceylon Sailor, one of my favorite songs about the sea. And we want you to get in on this conversation. Call and leave a message on our hotline with your favorite song about the water, 888-859-1800. When we come back, more of our picks for Sound Opinions at Sea, and later, an interview and live performance from West Coast artist Phoebe Bridgers. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. He is Greg Cott, and we are sharing some of our favorite songs inspired by the sea. You know, Greg, I grew up in New Jersey, so going down the shore, as we call it, right? Going to Keensburg, going to uh, Lavalette, going to uh, Asbury Park. Yeah. Uh, a lot of time to think about the ocean and great ocean songs. And they don't get any better than the Velvet Underground. The backstory of its song, Ocean, is fascinating. You know, the Velvets split with John Cale, and they were moving record labels. Uh, that wonderful live album, 1969 Live, comes out in the midst of that. They go to MGM Atlantic, and they make Loaded, and 
And Ocean was in consideration for that. It was recorded in 69, didn't make the cut, never really saw the light of day except for insane tape traders until the VU album of outtakes from this group. What I love about this is, you know, obviously the lyrics, here come the ocean, the waves down by the shore, right? Okay, but the way the music captures the ocean, thanks to Mo Tucker, one of the great drummers of all time and the most underrated. You know, these kind of rolling rhythms and the mallets on the toms and the cymbals. This song sounds like the ocean. It sounds like you are adrift at sea. And that's what I love about it. Velvet Underground, Ocean on Sound Opinions. Ocean on Sound Opinions, uh, I think it's also a very uh, close cousin, Greg, to Heroin, you know, in the same yeah, way. Yeah, an epic song. Yeah, absolutely. And the way that that song evokes this drug trip, mm-hmm. this song evokes the ocean. What do you got? This is another uh, song in the mold of uh, Sail on Sailor, which I just played from the Beach Boys, A Salty Dog from Procol Harum. I admit I am a complete sucker for this band. I, I love do Procol love Harum. Procol Harum. Yeah. They write these fantastical Images. I mean, a whiter shade of pale. Anybody who can figure that song out, What's you're it mean? a better I have man. No than idea me. what it means. You know? I always thought that song was like the the band on the Titanic playing as the ocean liner sank. Yeah, it's a, it's an incredible song, and it's a song that just constantly is, is is a point of discussion. And I think a salty dog is in its league. Less highly rated song, perhaps less well known, but I think right up there in the Procol Harum list of greatest songs ever. The lyricist was a guy by the name of Keith Reed. The guy who wrote all the music and sang most of the lead vocals was keyboardist Gary Brooker. They had a 1969 album named after this song. There's a beautiful string arrangement on this song. Friends of mine who are huge classical music buffs gravitated toward A Salty Dog because they said, that's Chopin. These guys are riffing on Chopin. Procol uh, Whiter Shade of Pale was riffing on Bach. Uh, These Mm -hmm. guys knew their classical influences. This is a song about a voyager apparently around the, uh, the tip of uh, the, the Cape of Good Hope, around the tip of Southern Africa, which is a very treacherous route in the old days of sailing the high seas. There's a shipwreck. Apparently there are no survivors. A lot of controversy about what this song actually means. One interpretation that I really like is that the last verse is talking about these guys being lifted up to heaven. You know, upon the seventh seasick day, we made our port of call. Mm. They're all dead, and they're now <laughs> ascending to a different planet, a different space, you know? Did you miss the part before where I said people could play this show <laughs> yeah. at their barbecue? <laughs> a little uplifting well, music. Well, it is kind of uplifting in a way. It reminds me a little bit of a mutiny on the bounty. It's got all these kind of epic overtones to it, and it's a beautiful song. A Salty Dog by Procol Harum on Sound Opinions. Thank you. 
Great song about the high seas, at least in my opinion, A Salty Dog by Procol Harum. Jim, you've got another one for us, right? I do. This is the most obvious of, of my picks for this show. But, I mean, how can you not go with Otis Redding sitting on the dock of the bay? You ever been to Sausalito? Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Well, sort of. <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, you know, San Francisco is right ocean. across yeah. there, yeah. you know. And Sausalito is sort of the low-rent cousin. Yeah. Otis Redding had just played the Fillmore. He was at the height of his powers, one of the great voices of his generation. He was staying on a houseboat, you know, in mm-hmm. Sausalito. The wonderful autobiographical simplicity of this song. I left my home in Georgia. I headed for the Frisco Bay. You know, and he's sitting on the dock of that bay. He is watching the ships roll in and the tide roll out and he's describing it Steve Cropper had to finish the song because Redding tragically died out here in the Midwest December 1967 you know you got the incredible band of Steve Cropper on guitar Donald Duck Dunn on bass Al Jackson on drums I mean this is as good Mm. as it gets and there was concern at the label that maybe this was too pop to put out, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, on the short list of like, if you had to make the list of a dozen perfect songs in the entire history of pop music, right? You know, you'd have to really work hard to come up with better than sitting on the dock of the bay. And apparently from the very beginning, Otis wanted those sounds of the waves and the seagulls at the beginning. And Steve Cropper thought it was a little bit cheesy, but he added it in because that's what Otis wanted. What a beautiful song. Otis Redding, Sitting on the Dock of the Bay on Sound Opinions. I left my home in Georgia Headed for the Frisco Bay Cause I've had nothing to live for And look like nothing's gonna come my way So I'm just gonna sit on the dock of the bay Watching the tide roll away Sitting on a darker bay, wasting time. Look like nothing's gonna change. Everything still remains the same. I can't do what ten people tell me to do. So I guess I'll remain the same. Listen. And here resting my bones And this loneliness won't leave me alone This 2,000 miles I roam Just to make this dock my home Now I'm just gonna sit at the dock of a bay Watching the tide roll away Sitting on a darker bay, wasting time. Otis Redding, sitting on the dock of the bay. You're going to have to work hard to top that, Cot. Well, that's a great song. I'm going to go completely the opposite way. <laughs> Not even going to try to be try to be positive or uplifting with this song. It just it, one of the most disturbing songs ever written. I'm going to remind people yeah, about yeah. your, your sea phobia <laughs> here. In case they didn't hear that at the beginning where you fessed up, you're afraid well, of the water. Here you go. Um, you know, water can be uh, interesting the way the imagery is used. You know, take me to the river, Al Green. It's, a, mm-hmm. you know, it's about spiritual cleansing, renewal. A lot of people associate bodies of water with this kind of sense of renewal. But it also can be a burial ground. Every mafia movie you've ever yeah. seen, the guy's thrown into the river, right? I think P.J. Harvey's tapping into that tradition with Down by the Water from her 1995 album, To Bring You My Love. 
You know, the song seems to suggest that an innocence was being lost here. It's not quite clear who's losing their innocence, but something bad is happening. And you have to sort of read between the lines. What happened under that bridge? We still Mm. don't know the answer to that question in this song. So she's combining a couple of traditions here that I was talking about, the, the, the spiritual renewal, the burial ground. Oh, help me, Jesus, come through this storm. That's one of the lines in the song. She's asking for God's help, Jesus's help, in getting through this trauma that she's going through. And I had to lose her to do her harm is the very next two lines in the song. And you're going, uh-oh, we got a problem here. So she's standing, <laughs> she's standing on the banks of this river, much like Otis is. Yeah. You know, observing something, participating in something perhaps, but on the shore, looking into this river. And she's begging these fish at the end of the song to bring back her purity in a way, to bring back my daughter to me. One of the interpretations is that there is a, uh, a child killing. A child has been killed in this song. Another interpretation is that she was abused as a child, mm. the narrator of the song we're talking about, and has come back to the river to seek some sort of redemption. So there's all sorts of interpretations. I've talked to Polly about the song a couple times because I'm endlessly fascinated by it. Says, uh, 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 I'm not going to tell you. No, she won't you know, go there, no. You know, you, it's up to you. It's Polly whatever Jean you Harvey, think it is. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, PJ Harvey with Down by the Water on Sound Opinions. Down by the Water from P.J. Harvey on Sound Opinions. That wraps up our discussion of great songs about the sea. Before we head back to shore, we want to hear from you. Call and leave a message on our hotline, 888-859-1800, with your favorite song about the sea. Coming up after the break, a conversation and live performance from Phoebe Bridgers at the Goose Island Tap Room in Chicago. That's after a break from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. He's Jim DeRogatis. And that's a little bit of the song Motion Sickness by our guest this week, singer-songwriter Phoebe Bridgers. Bridgers released her debut album in 2017 called Stranger in the Alps to rave reviews from a lot of critics. And she's been on the road uh, much of this year, opening several tours and headlining her own shows. Bridgers is 23 years old, Greg. She hails from Los Angeles. 
grew up, went to a performing arts high school, and began by busking at local farmers' markets. I mean, how L.A. is that? An early champion was Ryan Adams. He uh, released her 7-inch on his label in 2015. He even compared her to Bob Dylan. Uh, nicest thing I can say is Ryan Adams was right on that front. You know, the thing about Phoebe is I think she's got this novelistic eye for detail. Yeah, it's absolutely true. You know, her lyrics have sort of been looked at as like, you know, incredibly introspective and even fraught to the point of, you know, you feel somewhat voyeuristic listening to her songs. You know, I've, I've seen some comparisons to somebody like Elliot Smith mm-hmm. or Julian Baker, a, another great young singer-songwriter with, with whom uh, Phoebe toured. But I also think that some critics who uh, analyze her music as being this, about this fragile way are missing the humor. And there's an edge to her music that says, you know, I'm not falling apart so easily. I'm hurt here, but I'm going to get through this, and you're going to pay the price. We talked to Phoebe Bridgers at the Goose Island Tap Room in Chicago, where she was backed up by her band member, Marshall Vore. And we first wanted to know where she got the name Stranger in the Alps for her debut album. Because there's a TV edit of Big Lebowski where when Walter is beating up the dude's car... He's screaming something very inappropriate, and they creatively replaced it with, this is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. Yeah. (laughs) This is what happens when you blank a stranger in the blank becomes this is what happens uh, when you find a stranger in the Alps. See what happens, Larry? See what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps? This is what happens. Now let's hear a song from that album. This is Phoebe Bridgers with Scott Street, live from the Goose Island Tap Room on Sound Opinions. Walking Scott Street feeling like a stranger With an open heart, open container I've got a stack of mail and a tall can It's a shower, beer, it's a payment plan There's helicopters over my head Oh, every night when I go to bed I'm spending money and I earned it But when I'm lonely, that's when I'll burn it Do Playing drums 
said it's too much stuff to carry And what about the band You said they're all getting Phoebe Bridgers, live on Sound Opinions, Scott Street. What a wonderful song. From Stranger in the Alps, the album. There is a lot of humor in your music, and there's also a lot of intensely personal stuff in your music. You write about battling depression, friends or yourself. Jesus Christ, I'm so blue all the time. And that's just how I feel, always Sid and Nancy, and, and why that story resonates with you. What inspires you to sit down and write with that kind of empathy? I think it's just my outlet for, for those feelings. I don't feel like I'm a particularly dark personality. And also, that's what I look for in music, I feel like. But the Sid and Nancy thing, I think it was, it was just so disturbing to me that it's such a romanticized story, and our culture has such a good time, like just yeah just taking stuff out of context and making stuff seem cool that's not for chemical balance you sure know how to ride a train your revolution is a deathbed and the music is your maid when someone comes knocking with a needle on a tread Beside you, for you told me not to stay. 
something really has to kind of get in my head for me to write about it. You make this EP. I, I, I remember when it came out and there was all this like hubbub on the online. And then I saw you were on all these tours. You're like you were out on the road almost constantly, it seemed like. And I kept thinking, how did she get mixed up with, with that tour? Well, put, put Phoebe Bridgers, who does these kind of quiet acoustic tunes with this band. So what was that, that experience like? And why did you feel you needed to do some of that? I mean, were you told you got to do that for I your mean, career? I mean, um, it's hard like playing for a crowd of people who don't have any context yeah. for your music whatsoever. And some of those shows were soul-sucking. But I also found a way to... You know, the, at least the 20 people who chose to be in the very front, they chose to be there to listen. So I try to always find a little bit of silver lining, but if there's a bar in the back of the venue, it's rough to be an acoustic act. And actually, this is maybe one of the only times I got sane advice from Ryan. He told me that when the room's getting loud, you should just get really, really quiet because it'll freak him out. It's actually kind of true. Like, everybody's like, what's happening? Why is everything so quiet? Tired of being sad. I feel it when I wake up, and it just stays bad. My tick is to just fully go for it yeah. and try to like be louder than I've ever been, and it just doesn't sound good. So. So yeah, made it through. So it, it worked, is what you're saying, that people actually <laughs> to, sort of like, what's extent, going on? Why is it extent, so quiet? Yes. Yeah, wow, that's interesting. So the experience of being on the road and doing all these tours and constantly touring, did that feed into the work and, and, and what, what, the re- what the album ended up being? Was Absolutely. It a good I, experience. I was so frustrated being gone and I was so eager to record, but then I ended up writing my like four favorite songs from the album in the like right between another tour so ended up being really grateful to to be gone take a dirty picture babe i can't sleep and i miss your face in my hands and in my knees tell me what you want to do does it bother you when people say, uh, writers, say, um, you know, great young female singer-songwriter? Why isn't it just great songwriter, singer-songwriter? Yeah, I think it depends on the writer. I think, like, when I get interviewed by women or young women, uh, it's, it's sometimes I'll end up, especially now with Me Too and everything, I have many a time ended up talking for, like, two extra hours um, about being a woman in music but but yeah, you, you know, you get indie darling. I got that the other day, and I was like, what? <laughs> or or um, how female-fronted bands and female singer-songwriters get compared always to Joni Mitchell. Love Joni Mitchell. I sound nothing like Joni Mitchell. Literally nothing. It's just your only reference. And male singer-songwriters, like, no... Nobody would see a dude singer-songwriter in a coffee shop and say, you sound like Joni Mitchell. Mm. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's just absurd. I think it, it depends on where it's coming from, and, um, yeah, it's, it's infuriating. 
Yeah. Let me uh, be a guy and compare you to another female artist. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, when I first heard your music, I was thinking Joan Didion. And I think it was because I, I also teach journalism as literature in college, right? And we read Joan Didion. And then I read this interview where you said, you know, I, I, you know you, she's inspiring you. And I think it's that wonderful thing that she was able to do for two decades, looking at California, which is so sunny and perfect on the surface, where you grew up. And then, like David Lynch, right? She goes underground. What's yeah. happening under the surface? Does she inspire some of your lyrics? Yeah. I mean, I think everything that I intake and that I love inspires me. But definitely her... I love her way of talking about California specifically, but everything where she she's bringing up the darkness of it, but she's not coming from a place of higher ground. Like, she's in it. Yeah. You know, she's you know talking about the higher class in this horrible way and then she's right in the thick of it and she knows that um which which yeah it's just like a really insightful cool point of view and it's and it's weird stuff about hollywood and california that you you never would have heard of otherwise can the killer in me tangle I mean, once you started working within the industry, you know, as opposed to being an open mic artist in L.A., were you surprised by what you encountered in terms of that sort of unspoken or maybe spoken discrimination and um, bias? I think the darkest thing is that I wasn't surprised. Mm. I was prepared. I knew going to art school, you know, you have female teachers who tell you horror stories. You just, your whole life you hear how it is. And, yeah, when I was a kid, my mom would, like, wait outside of, you know, if I was going to some producer or some, like, kid in a band's house that I'd never been to before, she would, like, wait outside in a car. Being taught that from, like, a young age that you need to just be protected at any time is horrific. Mm -hmm. I mean, you still do, which sucks. But it seems like the hashtag Me Too movement is really slow in coming to the music world mm -hmm. as opposed to media, politics, Hollywood, everywhere else. Why? Just convenience, I think. I think it it takes a storm, like something needs to start the storm. And I think it is. People are getting taken down left and right, which is amazing. But but yeah, there's like a lot to sift through. There's a lot that needs to burn to the ground before it can be rebuilt. I think that nobody's surprised. Like, no woman is surprised when people get taken down. I think call-out culture is great in ways, and call-out culture is really dangerous in ways, but... I really, hoped, I really hope that it works. Seeing it work is really invigorating, and I hope it keeps going. You're listening to Sound Opinions. We're here at the Goose Island Tap Room with uh, Phoebe Bridgers. Uh, Phoebe, you got another song for us? Yeah, this one's called Smoke Signals. I went 
buried a hatchet It's coming up lavender The future's unwritten The past is a corridor I'm at the exit Looking back through the hall You are anonymous I am a concrete Smoke signals from Phoebe uh, Bridgers on uh, Sound Opinions here at the Goose Island Tap Room. Able assist there from Marshall Vore. Thank you <laughs> yeah, so much thank you. for coming so much. on Sound Opinions. Anytime. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we're going to go deep on Roxy Music, a classic album dissection of their debut album from the early 70s. Sounds like fun, Greg. Special thanks uh, for help with Phoebe Bridgers to Goose Island and Shelly Steffens. You can find all the episodes of Sound Opinions at soundopinions.org or subscribe to our podcast wherever you get those things. Sound Opinions was produced by Alex Claiborne, Iona Contreras, Andrew Gill, our new intern, Hannah Edgar. Missing this week, executive producer Brendan Banizak. He went out to cross the ocean on an inner tube. I hope he makes it back. Beyond the sea. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hi, my name's Carolyn Master, calling from Chicago. I'm calling to thank you for giving the little shout-out to Glenn Branca on your show this week. I played with Glenn from 86 to 2001. He was quite a character. There's uh, many stories us in the ensemble have about him. I always thought it would be a great book to go through that aspect of the Lower East Side sound. I, I also play in the band of Cabbages and Kings. We rehearse at Michael Gerard's studio on 6th Street. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes on around there. Um, it's an interesting book in the making. Uh, it's quite entertaining. Thank you. This is Roz Byrne from Oak Park, Illinois, and I grew up in Detroit, so I heard a lot of Alice Cooper. It was great for you to replay your interview with him. I would say if anybody wants to explore Alice to get the greatest kiss album, I challenge you to find one song on that Greatest Hits album of 74 that doesn't make you sing along at the top of your lungs. Long live Alice.
This is Deborah from Palmer Square. I was listening to your interview with Alice Cooper, and I had to shed a light on my first experience, which was back in 1971. I was vacationing down in Fort Lauderdale. One of my girlfriends said, hey, I got us tickets for Alice Cooper. And I said, oh, great. I, I'm sure she'll be great. And she's like, oh, you're in for quite the surprise. I'm caught in a dream, so what? first experience with Alice Cooper watching him stuff cans beer cans down his pants I don't know make out with a snake or something like that all very entertaining hi I just listened to your interview with Alice Cooper I was singing the song no more mr. nice guy to myself in the mid-90s while I was cooking dinner I think he was nine years old my son says mom what's that you're singing I go oh it's called no more mr. nice guy he kept asking me to sing it again sing it again Next thing I know, he's jumping around the kitchen singing No More Mr. Nice Guy. He's just, oh, it was so funny. No more Mr. Nice Guy. No more Mr. Cleaky. No more Mr. Nice Guy. They say he's sick. He's a sick. He just still really loved it. And to this day, he still does. And he likes, I'm 18. You know, of course, he's 27 now. Thank you. Hi, Tim and Greg. This is Diane from Chicago. Thanks so much for featuring Alice Cooper. I'm a total coop head. And from the time Billion Dollar Babies came out, we just worshipped Alice Cooper. We had a piano bench and created a coffin put a baby doll in there and dressed it up and did the Alice Cooper Billion Dollar Baby Eyes, put it out on the front step and ordered a pizza. And when the delivery guy got there, we later found out that he was not allowed to come to the house anymore. Kind of freaked him out. Mailman didn't come for a while. And yeah, it was great. Thanks again for bringing back the memories, guys. I'm so scared. Your little head. No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.